fitness friends and welcome to 40,000 Steps Radio. I'm your host Christopher Heimerman and I am not a licensed healthcare professional, not a doctor, not a counselor. No, I'm a guy with 854 days of sobriety and a guy with the gumption to put his story out there. My guest is very near and dear to me. It is Kimmy Hill. Kimmy has an incredible story of recovery to tell and she was gracious enough to spend her two-year soberversary with us. She is an inspiring person to me. Despite a significant knee injury when she was nearly hit by a car, she got clean and sober and now she's chasing down the mission of running a half marathon in every state in the nation. So grateful that Kimmy joined me for the podcast. It's a great conversation. And as I look out the window, it's a beautiful day to get our 40,000 steps in. So let's Get it. All right, listen up, folks. I am really pissed off right now. To give you an idea of the timeline of this, it's Friday morning. It's September 17th. And I'm pissed off because well, two days ago, I got to hang out with Kimmy Hill and celebrate her two-year soberversary. And I got a message from her this morning you know, indicating that she's going to stay off social media for a while. And this isn't the first time. And <laughs> I'm pissed off because... She's got to stay off social media because there are so many assholes out there who are nasty and send biting comments. Look, I don't know exactly what they've said and what they've done, but I can imagine. And I don't want to ask her because, it's, first off, it's none of my business. And second off, I don't want to be grossed out, right? She can tell me if she wants, but I'm pissed off because Kimmy's posts inspire me very, very much. They're empowering to me. And to me, they're invaluable for women who are runners, women who aren't runners, anybody out there who needs to see somebody who was kicked in the teeth by life and got back up and kicked back. And somehow, my brain can't wrap itself around this. Somehow there are assholes out there who feel the need to torment her and to torment women in general on social media. And look, I have to assume that this isn't just men, but I mean, I, I see it all the time. I see women sniping women and people just generally like t taking out their pain on other people and it pisses me off. And now look, <laughs> I get it that hurt people hurt people. But ultimately, people have to make a goddamn choice for themselves, whether they're going to be a shitty human being or not. And I know that our co-host on this episode, my co-host, Allison Grady, is certainly no stranger to these behaviors as well. So, I mean, there was a part of this conversation where we got into why do people hurt people? Why do men beat up women in general? But why in particular, you know, in, in this case, why on social media? And I think we know. But we talked about it a bit. I don't know what the solution is. 
apart from, you know, us actually sticking up for people when we see them being abused, when we see people taking their pain out on other people. It's probably just as simple as us standing up and say, hey, man, not right, not cool, take a walk. So I'm pissed off. And I know that Kimmy will be back soon. I know that she'll be back on Instagram and inspiring me and many others. But right now, I'm just really pissed off. I am, however, grateful that two years ago, she decided that she was done. She was done drinking. She was done slowly killing herself. And that she was able to flip the switch and get clean and sober. For me, (laughs) I needed a little extra help with that. And that's why I went to treatment at Gateway Foundation in Aurora, Illinois. And I'm proud that they're a partner of 40,000 Steps Radio. If drugs or alcohol are starting to take over your life, it's time to get honest with yourself and get help. These days, many people are at home or out of work, and the temptation to turn to alcohol and drugs to cope with stress and anxiety is stronger than ever before, right? Stop using now before it's too late. Gateway Foundation is here for you and your family with life-saving inpatient as well as virtual programs, so you can access the help you need from the privacy of your own home. Don't wait to get help that you or a loved one needs. Most insurance plans are accepted. Call Gateway Foundation now at 877-505-HOPE. That's 877-505-4673 to schedule a free confidential consultation or you can visit gatewayfoundation.org and get the help that you need today. All right, so if you're struggling, please reach out to the folks at Gateway if you or someone else is struggling. All right, so like I said, pissed off, not sure what to do with it. When I'm in a situation like this, the one surefire way I've found to deal is to go for a run. So I'm going to go for a run and hoping I come back and you know feel a little bit lighter, feel a little less angry. We'll see. I was stoked that my close friend Allison Grady was able to hop on and co-host another episode. She's such a beautiful soul. She had a lot of great questions. And we had a terrific time with, with Kimmy. So without further ado, this is our conversation with my dear, dear, sweet, inspiring friend, Kimmy Hill. say it didn't work and i was gonna get very upset i am so freaking relieved <laughs> 21 minutes later and we are live yeah yeah i have an hour before i have to pick up my offspring so we're only gonna ask about five questions cool. <laughs> okay okay all right let's try this again only this time without the shtick well it's kind of shtick let's let's do the bell Woo! Happy two-year soberversary, my love. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing well. How are you guys? I'm sweating, and <laughs> I have never claimed to be tech-savvy. Let's just establish that, but nonetheless, I was, I was sweating a little bit, so I'm glad we're all here. <laughs> hey, so two years to the day. Yes. We were talking about this earlier. Like, like this is... Uh, I mean, the, the, the literal trip around the earth birthday is, is a big thing, but this, this one's bigger, isn't it? 
I think so. It, you know, it's kind of like your uh, second chance at life, or I feel like I've had a couple second chances um, at getting my life on the right track. So, yeah, it's a big deal. Well, now, I, I mean, we're, we're going to get into your story a little bit. And we're going to talk about, you know, some of the lows and stuff, because that's what we do for a moment in these in these episodes. But then we, you know, swing it around to how awesome things are now. Like, it didn't take you long after you flipped the switch and said, OK, no more. I've had enough. I'm get I'm putting down the drink. It didn't take you long for you to immediately blast that out there that I'm here. I'm sober. And this is the life that I wanted. I mean, how how do you think that that happened so quickly for you? Um, it, it's funny. I, I get asked that question a lot because, but I think it's, I am a very driven person. And sometimes when my mind's made up, I kind of get blinders and I just plow ahead. Um, my nickname growing up was bulldozer. So also, <laughs> so I like, like will bulldoze into things. And I just, when I've had enough, I've had enough. Right. And I had enough of my own shit is, yeah. is really boiled down to, right. I was ruining my life I was ruining my life physically and mentally and I just I had enough well now I, there was a point and this is going you know back several years but you used to run like a hundred miles a week you'd run twice a day you as you put it you know you were, you were destroying your body however deliberately or not you know, like what were you running from were these I, in terms of the you know depression and anxiety and stuff like that, was this stuff that you that you'd had since since you were really young? Like, where did that all begin? Yeah, it's a great question. Growing up, I was the oldest. There was my sister and I. She was only a year younger than me, and my sister was diagnosed um, as being bipolar at the age of eighteen, as well as. Um, dealing with anorexia at the age of 16. So there was, you know, mental illness in my family at a very young age. And my family didn't believe in sharing that information, right? That mental illness was bad for, you know, and we didn't, we didn't share outside the family. It, in high school, my family actually asked me to lie to my sister's friends, to her teachers, to my teachers about when my sister was in treatment for, you know, whether she was actually in the mental ward for her bipolar or if she was in, you know, inpatient care for her eating disorder. So it, it you know, <laughs> unpacking that in therapy, it, it started back way back then, like the anxiety of, and I wasn't, I'm not a liar. I don't, I, it was hard. It was really hard. Did your parents ever come around on that? Um. My dad did eventually, but not my mom. And I mean, that, that's got to be hard for you. Uh, was there any issue in terms of, you know, your sister was bipolar, which is, that's a serious diagnosis. You slip into, you know, a, a mental illness of your own. Did you ever feel like, did you ever wonder whether there was like room for you? Does that make sense? Yeah, that's also a great question because, like, I think I struggled with that a lot too because I was extremely outgoing, right? I excelled at everything, and I was often told, "Stop letting, stop letting your sister live in your shadow. It's not fair to her," mm. right? So, um, I was fortunate growing up too that my grandmother, my mom's mom, lived with us, so I was very close to my grandmother, and um, you know, she she and I would do things together, and she would make sure I wasn't, I didn't ever feel left out or alone. Our co-host, Allison Grady, is with us. 
And she works for NAMI, the yeah. National Alliance on Mental Illness. Allison, a lot of this stuff has got to be ringing a bell for you on both a personal and a professional level, right? Oh man, the bells are ringing loud today. <laughs> My immediate thought when you told me that you had a younger sister and that you're the oldest is, oh my gosh, that makes sense. I feel like I resonated with some of what you were saying um, on the level of just sibling dynamics and being the oldest. And I feel like oftentimes older siblings have very driven, headstrong personalities. You know, you said you set your mind to something and you go after it. And I resonate with that a lot. Um, and the whole casting a shadow on your younger siblings. That, it takes a mental toll. And I know you said you've been uh, teasing it apart in therapy and that's something that I've been doing too. It just, nobody talks about it. And the fact that you had to lie and keep that, that secret for so long about your family, that's a weight on your shoulders that takes a while to go away. When did you start doing uh, therapy, Kim? Probably two years ago. Right. When like when I got, you know, when I so two years ago, I went sober. So I cut out alcohol. I cut out sugar. I cut out carbs and I went low gluten. Right. Because my in addition to just mentally being a mess, physically, my blood, my body was a mess. And my doctor said I was signing, you know, signing myself up for an early death. Right. You did all of this cold turkey. I oh, wow. I'm so glad you're still here. Yeah, it. I am very determined and driven at times, right? And it, I do not recommend what I did. All right. Well, it, it's so dope, Kimmy, that you were able to sort of flip that switch and get clean. You know, for me, I needed to go to rehab. And that's the case for a lot of people. And a good place to find out the best course of action is to call my dear friend, Ron Parch. His business, DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers in Northern Illinois, is a vital resource. And they're a partner of 40,000 Steps Radio. Folks, if you or someone you love might have an issue with drinking, drugs, mental illness, or anger management, it's time to get in touch with my friends at DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers here in Northern Illinois. It's time to set up an assessment. You've got nothing to lose. Depending on your situation, the assessment could be free. My friend Ron Parch and his team use their 25 years of experience to build an individualized treatment plan that's confidential and effective. They approach people in distress with respect, and I cannot stress enough how important that is to feel respected when you're going through something. DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers has offices in Sycamore, Plano, and Crystal Lake. Check out DUISycamore.com or call 815-895-9000 and set up an evaluation today. Write this down, folks. Call 815-895-9000, visit DUISycamore.com, or you can email duibhs at gmail.com. Okay, Kimmy, so as you were saying. It is hard. My first three weeks of, you know, was horrible. I was horrible to people. I was horrible to my husband. I was horrible to my coworkers. I was just a horrible, horrible person because I was detoxing from so much. And then. Um, I'm lucky that my employer has a great um, employee assistance program, offers five free therapy sessions. So you get five free therapy sessions and then, you know, then insurance kicks in. So I was fortunate enough to be able to at least get myself grounded in therapy while I was trying to do all this 
at once. That's awesome. I gave I gave up coffee at one point and I was impossible to live with. So, so I'm sure that I'm sure that Kayla, my wife, can identify with you. Uh, we can identify with Nigel on a certain yeah, level there. Um, coffee was recommended that I give up, and I was like, "You can take everything away from that coffee. It just it's not going to work." Hey, so so Allison is our resident state track and field champion here. Yes. Now. I mean, when you were when you were a teenager, so you start running as a coping mechanism to run away from all of this chaos, right? So were you good um, at it? You know, I did it in high school. I did running, right, as a, I was a gymnast for a while. So running was kind of like what I did off season. And running was what, what I did with my dad, right? So my dad um, was a professional cross country and downhill skier. So my dad was very athletic. So it was something I did with my dad. I would run from my house to the post office and back, and that was two miles, right? So it was, you know, it's something I've always done. I didn't, and I didn't even do it in college. Like I got, after college is when I got serious about running um, and I won my first 5K and I was like, oh, okay, I guess I could, I guess I'm kind of good at this, right? Or I'm decent at it, right? And then, you know, it kind of just stuck with me as, Anytime things would get, my anxiety would get up, you know, get up there and I would just want to scream really loud, I would go for a run. Yeah, that first place medal was kind of your gateway. It was. Into. It was. <laughs> so you get up to like 100 miles a week and you're doing this for a while, I assume. And I mean, tell me about the knee injury because this was such a formative experience, oh, yeah. such a turning point in your life. Like, I guess, describe what happened there. Yeah. So I, I, you know, since the last, I would say, you know, 12 years, I battled a lot of injuries, right? Because I was running ridiculous miles. Um, and then in 2016, September of 2016, probably right around this time frame, actually, I'd have to go back and look, I was out on a long training run, um, training for the Milwaukee marathon. Um, that used to be, and that was in November at the time and uh, was in, you know, I had the green light to, to cross the street and a car ran the red light and almost hit me, just missed hitting me. And I fell, I came crashing down on my knee. I got up and blood streaming down my legs kept running until mile 13 when I called Nigel and asked him to come pick me up, kind of like the call of shame to be like, hey, I didn't finish, I was, and I beat myself up something fiercely in that because I couldn't finish my long run. It's so wild that, you know, we, we, we talk about to show weakness is to show strength. Like we all know that now to stop running, you would have looked at it as, as a show of weakness, mental toughness, physical toughness, even with blood streaming down your leg like that. That's, that's how much running became a piece of your identity. Oh, yeah. yeah. I didn't, if I wasn't running, I did not know who I was. If I was mm. not racing. I did not know who I was. And, and it took me two more years, right. To recognize that that was a serious, serious problem. Well, all right, let's bring in. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I could talk about this. Yeah. Let me get out of the way. Have at it. I could talk about this for hours about how identity and sport and running in particular it is just a tangled messy web it's in, it's incredible how tangled it all is and it's something that nobody talks about 
But then when you talk to people about how how running and their identity are so overlapped, it always comes with some sort of of story. And it's just so interesting to hear your story because similarly to you, running and my identity being so closely intertwined with it kind of led me down a, a downward spiral, so to speak. Um, and I know our stories are different, but I'd love to hear how did you cope with running and your identity and your injury and have you did you have like a positive relationship with running always before that happened no I would because it was always my coping mechanism right right so it was until probably 2018 July of 2018 I did I raced I you know came in first in my age group I, you know, was like fifth overall female and my knee blew up that night and I knew, I knew I had a problem, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Called my knee surgeon right away um, and he's like, okay, let's get you in for an MRI. And he was like, oh, good news, right? From the MRI was, hey, it was a torn meniscus. So I was like, oh, no big deal, torn meniscus, right? No big deal. You know, go in, clean it up take a couple weeks off, right? I'll be fine. Well, fast forward to my surgery um, <clears throat> a month month later, and they, he went in and he found a giant hole in my kneecap. And uh, at the time, he cleaned it up and said, hey, we're going to let it heal and see what happens. Um, let's try, try, give yourself, you know, six to eight weeks to rest, and we'll give it a, give it a shot. And tried to work out and the pain was even worse. Um, and then that's when he said, okay, we, we need to go in and have, I can't even pronounce it. It's the short name for it is oats. Um, but basically it's a cartilage transplant from a donor recipient, you know, to plug in my hole, to plug the hole in my kneecap. And I had that um, in January of 2019. And, and that's when I would say my, my drinking escalated, um, you know, and, and I couldn't run. Like I, I lost, I lost who I was. I, I really felt like I lost who I was in January of 2019. Do you think when you were running before your injury, you were running for the sake of the medals? Because in my experience, I think my identity was so close and tightly intertwined with running because of the gratification I got because I'm a perfectionist and I was chasing those medals and when I got the medals I knew that I mattered so to speak I don't think that I loved running I think I loved the medals and I think it was messy so I'm curious do, do you resonate with that at all or is it different absolutely right seeing your name in the top five right of overall female seeing your name as one two or three in your age group right it it was like, yeah, I, you know, this is me. This is what I'm amazing at, right? Like, it totally was like, right. yeah. It's like how you get your me. self-worth, in a way, at least yep. speaking for myself. No, I, yeah, it, it absolutely was. I mean, that's why I don't, I have above my desk, like, I used to have ton, all my medals hanging, right? Because I was incredibly proud of them. And now I just hang my marathon medals because I think, you know, I've had, I, I've run 10 full marathons and, you know, eight of them were horrible, right? <laughs> like my time was horrible on eight of them, but I'm still proud of them because um, I'll never probably run another full marathon again because of my, my injury. Well, so your knee blows up and, and you're, you're drinking 
you you lose that that identity. Yep. And your and your drinking gets out of control. Now, I know that long before that you were you know you were a problem drinker over the weekends. Yep. Um, it's funny, you and I were joking about it. Like we had every day of the week covered where I would drink my way through the work week, Monday through Friday. And it's like, I handed the baton to yes. you and you, the track metaphor. <laughs> yeah. 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 See what I did there. But so your knee blows up and did it, did it escalate? Did it get worse? Because when I think about, you know, your organs failing to me, it feels like you must've been doing some serious damage on those two days of the week or what, or did it get to a point where it was the other five days of the week too? It, it mostly stayed to the weekends, um, to two days a week. And I think because I wasn't doing any physical activity, cause I couldn't, cause I was locked in a knee brace for two months after my surgery, you know, it was the only thing I could do, I mean, was lay around, watch TV or go to a bar and drink. And hang, you know, prop my leg. I and I was proudly propping my leg up on a bar stool, and you know, pretty much drinking my weight in in beer. Yeah, wow, beer for you too. Yeah, huh? I was a beer guy too, and it's just it's astonishing the damage that, that that folks can do. I, you know, I I actually convinced myself that I didn't have a significant problem because I wasn't drinking hard alcohol, oh. which is absurd. And I said that same thing about myself. Well, I'm not drinking every day of the week. I don't have a problem. I am. I save it to the weekends. It's fine, you know. Isn't it wild how your brain tries to convince you that oh, yeah. mental illness isn't that big of a deal? And then in retrospect, you look back and you reflect and you're like, hold on. That's the red flag. <laughs> right? Like the red all like the the red flags are glowing all around me, right? And I was just like, "Voila, I got I can handle this, right? I can do this." Right. Cuz I was you going to work 5 days a week and, you know, I'm sure my work suffered, but that that's the truly fucked up thing about the brain is that it will it will write any narrative in order to cling to the things that hurt it because those things that hurt it sink their hooks in so deep oh and by the way society isn't doing us any favors but (laughs) so you like you said before you go and you see the doc Mm -hmm. the doc says you're writing an early death certificate and that she said she wouldn't treat you if you didn't like turn things around right she was angry at me right so she knows my family history right she knows like because my sister did pass away um, so in addition to my sister being bipolar, my sister also had lupus, right? So we were on this chronic watch to make sure like I didn't get an autoimmune disease cause it runs autoimmune diseases run rampant in my family. So we're always on this watch. Right. And, and she, she, she was angry. She was very angry at me because you know, all the, all this alcohol intake, all this sugar intake, all of the stuff I was doing just, you know, she was like, you need you need to stop or I can't treat you anymore. Uh, are you a people pleaser? Uh, you know, I'm not. <laughs> Believe it or Ooh. not, I am not. I was going to ask. I that. am a fuck you person, right? Like, I will, <laughs> you, I, I will argue. I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah, teach me. Teach me. <laughs> yeah, teach me your ways. I don't know if it's because I, I come from New Jersey originally or what, but I am just like F you to a lot of people, right? But I, I, you know, I broke down in her office and she, and she asked me what I think a lot of people are afraid to ask others is, do you need help? Right? Like, mm. I think that question, and it's going to make me cry. So this is a safe place. I know that question <laughs> is so important. If you know, somebody is struggling because 
you give that person a safe space to say, yes, I need help. Well, and since you got sober, like that's been a, that's been a mission of yours to normalize this stuff. And I admire that so much about you. Absolutely. Like it, I mean, the kind of the awakening, right? Kind of like when you talk about clear eyes, right? Clear mind, right? It, this country has such a problem with normalizing consumption of alcohol. And it just like everywhere you turn, it's like you bounce off one wall and there's another ad for, for alcohol, right? You bounce off another and there's another, like music venues are sponsored by major like beer companies or, like Summerfest is happening, right? And they were so proud that Miller Lite was, you know, Miller was serving Vizzy or I don't even know what it was, but it's whatever their new sparkling seltzer hard. Oh, but it's but it's got vitamin C. Yes, it's good for like, you. Oh my God! Why is this normal? Right? Like this is not okay. And I talk to Nigel about this all the time. It's just the everywhere you turn, you're bouncing off an advertisement for alcohol. It's it's sad. I angrily filled out my pitchfork feedback survey yesterday. Oh. I mean, every, every, everything was going great until I hit the section where it was like, oh, which sponsors did you see at the event? <laughs> and then they're like, after seeing these sponsors, would you be more, li- more likely or less likely to buy this product? And I was ready to check off less likely for all like Goose Island, etc. But then I was like, no, 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 no. That's not what they asked. They're like, would you be more or less likely? And I'm like, on, I, no change. No, <laughs> you know, but I, but I wanted to just put it on blast because we're angry, right? It's frustrating because I think people who don't have, and I think about that all the time as a very empathetic human, right? That people who don't have my strength, right, to to speak up for themselves, right? I feel like I need to be their voice, whether that's right or wrong, right? So I want to stand in front and protect them from this craziness because I'm okay. I can fight it, but they may not be able to. Did you and Allison just become best friends? (laughs) I think so. I think we just became best friends because Man, what you just said, I want to frame and put on the wall because that is exactly how I feel. I think that people who don't have experience with a mental health condition, they just don't get it. And similarly to how you two were talking about how alcohol advertising is everywhere, we live in diet culture and as someone recovering from an eating disorder, it is absolutely exhausting to turn on the TV and see all these weight loss ads and to see, you know, oh, people make comments like, oh, I didn't eat today. And then they're praised for that type of thing. And, and the crazy thing is my brain, similarly to yours, Kim, it goes, oh my gosh, I need to shield people away from this. I can see it myself because I'm fine. I can, I can bear that weight but I just can't let other people bear that weight because I know how bad yeah. it can get. And it's absolutely exhausting. And you don't realize how, how much that impacts you. That the empathy is a gift, but it's also a burden. It is. it is like, I will take time and I will step away from social media at times because I mean, everything suffers when I suffer, right? Yeah. Like everything suffers when I suffer and I'll have to take a step away. Like I, 
couple, was it like six weeks ago, I had to stop a run. I was supposed to be 12 miles and I stopped at six miles because I just was not mentally in it. And I knew if I kept pushing, I'd probably hurt myself. Well, now I gather from your posts that people are very fucking mean to women because (sighs) I don't catch any flack on social media. And I, like I, I, I glean through your posts that people are nasty, that they, that they don't respect you, that they might actually have like nasty things to say about you adjusting exercises and stretches and stuff. I, what the hell is going on? Why people feel so entitled to beat women up? It's ridiculous. It's because we won't back down, right? Like I, I think women are so incredibly powerful and the fear that a woman is going to take over, right? Like, or women will take over the world. Like it just, you know, it's so entangled into like, what is wrong with this world? Like I was listening to another podcast yesterday talking about some talking about this in particular. And it was just, it was fascinating just to hear that like, and this podcast is run by a man. Um, he's very similar to you, Christopher. So, and, and you know, and our belief system in general. So it was, you know, it was just fascinating to hear like that, you know. And it's it takes a lot, right? And it takes men to stand up for women. And there's not enough men standing up for women. Yes, I, you know, there's you, right? And then there's my husband. And, you know, there are the guys that are in my life that surround me and protect me and stand up for me. But, you know, it needs to continue to multiply. I feel like people, people are mean to women, because being mean to women reinforces the patriarchy. It reinforces men being in control because they get, I mean, obviously not all men, no, no, we're terrible as a species. We're awful. <laughs> but they're scared that, like you said, Kim, that women are going to take over the world and they don't want to give up that power. And what's one way not to give up that power? It's to be absolute assholes and so mean and try and tear women down. But we can't get torn down because, like you said, we're strong. We can take it. I'll fight back. I have no problem fighting back. Well, that, you know, that's, that's why, like, I fell in love with my wife was that like when, when we were in, in Monroe, we both, it's so wild. We both landed a job at a newspaper right out of college, the same newspaper in a town of 10,000 people, even though we went to the same college in the same buildings and never ran into each other. But so we're working at this small newspaper and I see her walk into the room and I'm like, that is somebody who knows what she wants and knows how to get it. And, and that is fucking hot, <laughs> you know, strong women. I it's like, I've always gravitated toward strong women. And it's so funny how it's a case by case basis with, with, with men. And I don't think that it just boy. I think often it boils down to insecurity. I don't think it always does because I'm a deeply insecure person too. I think it's, 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 it's all the different wiring that goes into men's brains. It's their environment. It's where they're from. It's the, it's the values that they were raised. Absolutely. I think that values one is a huge one and that goes into environment too. Yeah. In that podcast I was listening to yesterday, it was, it was um, an African-American woman being interviewed and she was talking about, you know, all, all the tensions, right. And, and how, like how we can change the narrative. And she was talking about, in particular, like she was having a conversation with a white man who got angry at a white woman who said said a racial slur. And 
And the the African-American woman was like, well, that's her upbringing. He's like, you know what? That was my upbringing too, but I had a choice to change it. And like that, I like literally stopped where I was and was just like, holy shit, that is exactly right. Just because we were raised a certain way doesn't mean it's the right way, but we have a choice to change it. And and I think the choice, it's, got, it's hard and it's scary, but it's got to be done regardless of what the issue is. Yeah, I, co- I come from a very conservative background. Like my, my friends in grade school, high school, lots, lots of racism. Yep. Lots of homophobia. Yep. And and there's a reason why I was also like aching to get the hell out of that town (laughs) and to get to Milwaukee where, you know, where (laughs) it depends on where you're hanging out in Milwaukee. But well, and this speaks to, you know, this is where I was wondering because yeah, for you, fervent advocate for people in recovery, fervent advocate for equal rights, equal gender rights. And, but also LGBTQ community, you know, racial issues. Where did all of this come from? I mean, is, is this part of your construct? Have you had people in your life who you've seen treated unfairly? Like, where, where, where does this spirit of, of activism and advocacy come from? I think my upbringing. Um, my, I, too, was raised very conservative. Um, you know, people are going to listen to this and, you know, maybe my high school friends will listen to this. I don't know. I don't care if they do or they don't. Right. But my mom is an ex-nun and I was raised hardcore Catholic, like really hardcore Catholic and evangelical over oh, here. So when things like I questioned why a woman couldn't have a right to choose to have an abortion, like I was sent to the to the priest to have a conversation like everything like. What, what does it matter if a man loves a man or a woman loves a you know, woman loves a woman? Who cares, right? Like, love is love, right? And, like, that's how I, how I always viewed it, sent to the priest, right? So I, I started to become very angry at the fact that what is, like, I just kept questioning why and what is wrong with it, right? And my family's answer was to send me to the priest, which... Well, that that didn't go over too well with me. <laughs> yeah, that probably, you know, that pushed you in the other direction, right? Oh, it Just... absolutely did. Like when I told you, like when my mind is set, it's like, look out, I will bulldoze my way through. I mean, I am only 5'1", but I will bulldoze my way through if, if I, you know, if somebody is personally affected by something bad that is happening, it just, it, it makes me so angry. You know what? Okay. This please, you know, take me with a grain of salt on this. You're either going to find this endearing and interesting or you're going to find this offensive. I'm not sure yet. Let's give it a try. When we met for brunch, I was like, holy shit, she's tiny. Because I see your posts and I see this big, confident, strong woman, which you are. You know, you 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 run your butt off. You know, you you exude strength. But I was just like, this is a damn firecracker. Like, there's a lot of punch packed into this five foot oh, one yeah. woman. <laughs> yes. I don't find that offensive at all, right? I find my height, right? Like, at, growing up, it was, I felt it was like a negative, but I find it a positive because people underestimate me, underestimate me all the time, right? They under, especially in, in my career, which is a very male dominated field. I get underestimated all the time. And I'm like, that is your biggest mistake is to underestimate me. You're going to prove everyone wrong. How do you deal with that, Allison? As, as somebody who I think you've got an inch on me. 
Are you? Are you? Are yeah. you <laughs> you're, you're punching down. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm five nine, so I um, half an inch then. You would t- tower over yeah, me. <laughs> that's so interesting. But f- when you when you mentioned your height, I think that some of the strongest women I know are also shorter, and I think it is because, like we were talking about earlier you know, women, they learn not to back down. People are constantly underestimating them and it just adds fuel to the fire. Um, And it's just like, you know what? All right, you think of me this way, watch me do this instead. Um, You underestimate me, okay, watch me prove you wrong. And I feel like, I don't know, height is interesting because I've always been on the taller side. But I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm still a woman, so that I've still got that going against me. But <laughs> That adds a whole other bizarre layer to people perceiving you as strong. Right. Yes. Unfairly, you know, considering you a strong, you know, intimidating figure if, if you're taller than a man. Right. And, you know, like culturally, society wants men to be taller than women, right? And when women are taller than men, it's seen as weird. And sometimes women feel the need to dumb themselves down. Obviously, just from societal pressure, you know, it can it can feel awkward or uncomfortable to, to be portrayed or perceived as stronger than a man just because of our gender roles in our society. So I feel like there's two sides of the coin. There's all right, women who are shorter, they they have this drive to try and be be strong and heard. But then women who are taller, their confidence may falter in the other direction because they feel as yeah. though they have to dull, dull their their shine, so to speak, to fit into society. And this is a big this is a big reason why that body objectivity is is such yeah. a, is such a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Which for for our listeners, really, body objectivity is is where you basically consider your body your body. It's it's a it's your vessel that allows you to live your life and go about your life and and, and do things. Am I onto am I onto that, Allison? Yeah, yeah. So like body neutrality too is the other term that I really like to use. Yeah, I loved when you said that um, in your earlier episode about like I remember you saying that, and I was like, oh my. It's my it's my favorite. I've done lots of research on it this year. Uh, I'm doing a, a senior thesis research project that kind of incorporates it too. But it's yeah, it's just your body is your body. You might love it some days, you might hate it some days, but it is your yeah. vessel that carries your soul throughout this world. And because of that, you should treat it with kindness. Kimmy, for you, you have your knee surgery, your knee blows out. And doctor's orders, you know, even once even once it's rehabilitated, doctor's orders you you can never run farther than a half marathon that's that's your limitation now allison bravely came on the podcast and spoke bravely about the fact that women's bodies change breaking news news alert so when she got to college and her body changed it was jarring to learn that she would never be as fast as she was when she was a senior in high school and her team won the state championship again, accolades, you know, it's something that you can point to as, as success, a measurement of self-worth, a, a fallacy, of course. So I kind of want to let the two of you like talk this out in terms of the identity crisis that can come with when your body changes, because Kim, I look at you now and 
maybe this is a problem in and of, of itself because I see how strong you are and how outspoken you are to where, to me, my perception is that you've made peace with it. Is that the case? Yeah, I, I would absolutely say I've made peace with it. I mean, and I'm okay with it. I, I think, um, ha- and I think how I got to that place was recognizing I have nothing to prove to anybody. I have, n- like, I have, I have run more races and done more things, but you know, at that time I was, I was chasing, like I was trying to qualify for Boston. So, because my dad never ran, like I always had a reason, but not the right reason that I was running. And now I, I run because I like, it's a gift, right? I, I wake up every day and I get to do something I absolutely love to do. And, you know, I wake up alive, right? Number one, which is there's so much gratitude that I get, I wake up alive. And then number two is like, Hey, I could go for a run today. And if I'm not feeling that great or it's not my run day, I'll, you know, I'll do weight training. Right. It's just, it's a gift that um, I'm giving back to my body that I can still move it. Cause now there's a lot of people out there that don't, that can't like they physically cannot do this. Right. And when I said at the beginning, like how many times, like how many second chances I've had, like I felt like, Back in September 2019, that was my last second chance, right? Like, I feel like the universe gave me so many second chances to write myself. And I felt like that was the final straw or that was the last chance I was going to get to to get my shit together. But now for Allison, conversely, like we talked about this, like being, I, I, I use this term and I wish, I wish that there I wish that it wasn't legitimate or that there wasn't some truth to this. Like for you, you know, you're a commodity of North central college for you running became like running takes up so much of the oxygen in your room. So for you, like the, you know, the identification and when it comes to your body changing, um, I assume that you you are still making peace with it. Like like how do you compare that to what Kim's been through? I am. I am sitting here in awe of your story and I think that's so beautiful and your outlook on life and your outlook on like the gratitude you have for your body and all that it's been able to help you achieve is an outlook that I'm striving to reach in my own life and I, Honestly, I don't think I'm there yet, but I think I'm much closer than I was two years ago and even two months ago Um, because I'm still at that point where I'm still trying to separate my my self-worth from my body and because in a way my body has helped me achieve these external things. It's helped me acquire medals. It's given me attention. It's given me the opportunity to run at this higher level in college. Um, and that's how I, that was the foundation of my confidence for so long. And then that, that just crumbled out of my control just because of simple biology. And so it's interesting and, and reassuring to hear how it doesn't have to be that way. And through my recovery, uh, I'm learning to kind of flip the switch and, and follow your your narrative or your outlook a little bit closer. Grace, give yourself lots of grace, room for grace. I, I can't, grace and gratitude is like, there's 
it's the only, it's how I live, right? How I, I think I live my life and people probably get so annoyed that all my posts, a lot of my posts on Instagram always start with like, I know I say this a lot, but I'm so grateful and, but it is, right? Like I'm so extremely grateful and I think, you know, it, it takes practice to get there and I, you know, you're on the right path, right? You'll, you'll get there. Yeah, right. and, well, Allison, I, th- I think about the work that you're doing with NAMI yeah. and I think about you being a captain of, of the track and field team. I mean, how cool is it that you get to bring in these freshmen? I know they're annoying. I know it's obnoxious, but, but you get to nip in the bud, the sort of shit that you dealt with. You get to create that safe space that people don't have to go through what you went through. That right there is my goal. And that's a really awesome reframe because sometimes if I'm speaking completely honest, uh, the responsibilities and leading these practices, it can get a little overwhelming on top of everything else I've got going on because track isn't my entire identity anymore. I've got other things going on. But that right there, nipping all of those things in the bud and creating this safe place and shutting down diet talk and letting girls run without their shirts on, which I wasn't allowed to do in high school. And just that just eliminates shame and it normalizes fueling your body. And that's really my mission. I just really want to do everything in my power to help people avoid the trap that I fell into when I was a freshman in college. You know, I I hope you find a way to cross over with with the men on occasion. I say that because like it was just in the past year that I finally would go for a run when it's like 95 degrees outside and I would actually run without a shirt. Like when I was a teenager in high school, I wanted to hang out at the beach, but I never did because I was about 125 pounds soaking wet. And to me, I associated that with weakness. Oh, yeah. I completely agree. I feel like society considers it a woman's only issue, but everybody, regardless of your gender, deals with body image issues. And I think that talking about it and normalizing it in that way is really important. Maybe we'd stop being such assholes and beating up on women if we didn't hate ourselves so much. Just floating that out there. You said it. (laughs) You said it. (laughs) It it comes from somewhere, I mean, outside of just your upbringing or how you were raised, right, or what society tells you, you know, and you said it yourself, too, insecurity plays a role in that. So, but it's, it's tough, right? Like, it is tough. But I think what you're doing, Allison, by helping to change the narrative for, you know, 18 year olds coming into college, like that's, the youth is the future, right? And I think, getting them to be so open and accepting and you know saying it's okay you know to be have depression it's okay that you know you you have anxiety right there's there's coping mechanisms for both right versus you don't have to drink right you don't have to have disordered eating right there's ways to like all of that resonates right like it's just so powerful and i'm so excited to see like where you go in your future because i i think i think you're gonna be amazing i really do thank you so much and it's awesome to hear your story too and i'm so grateful that the mental health community just has you as an advocate because your story is so powerful and i'm not already following you on instagram and after this after we wrap up (laughs) 
you're gaining a new follower for sure. You know, I try I try to stay positive because there's so much negative energy in this world. I I don't want to put any more out there. Well, that that's that's why like you and Pam Rickard are like you guys are like appointment reading on Instagram. I I love it. I need that stuff. Like I mentioned earlier, one of the things that you post relentlessly about a lot of your energy comes from your running. And you mentioned to me a while back that now that you've kind of recalibrated what running means to you and you're loving it again, you've got some goals. Mm-hmm. Are you still thinking about running a uh, a half marathon in every county in Wisconsin? Because that's that still yeah. that still scares the hell out of me. <laughs> Even if I have to run in the middle of the woods, so be it. Even if it's my own half marathon, I'll do it. I'm not worried about the woods. I'm worried about the people who live near the woods. Yeah. As long as it's not 2 a.m. and I don't have like animals snorting and, bar- and growling at me, I'll be okay. So you've got that. And then uh, how many uh, how many states? Because you want to do one in every state. How many states have you checked off your list? Not a lot, believe it or not, because most of my half marathons have been in Wisconsin. So um, um, actually most of mine were in New Jersey, but I've reset the clock. It's not that I've forgotten about my life in New Jersey, but it's just, it's not who I am anymore. I mean, yes, it's a part of who I who I was, but it's not who I am anymore. So I, I only have like three or four dates technically, and I don't even count New Jersey. I'm going to go back and, you know, check the box again on New Jersey. Hey, that's so cool. Yeah. You know how many, how many half marathons I've run in any states? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> so. Are, are you looking uh, down the calendar? Are you looking at spring and picking off some states? I do. I have um, I have Philadelphia in uh, November. So no, that'll end my kind of fall season. And then in February, I have New Orleans. So I'll check off Louisiana. In March, I have Woodlands, Texas. So I'll check off Texas. That's awesome. You're going to be out in Philly. I need to... Uh... I need to warn Michelle Quirk that you're coming out there. You did okay. already. You did. Oh, we, we, we've been there, done that. That's we right. Have. We have. So, yes, I'm excited to hopefully I can meet up with her. Uh, you and I, speaking of meeting up and seeing yeah. each other at a race, uh, September 26th. Yep. This this is cool. This is, uh, I know one of your goals is to crack, you know, one hour and 50 minutes, which that shakes out to be like a eight minute pace, right? Something like that. I think it's like eight nineteen, eight twenty. Yeah. So this this race in West Bend, Wisconsin, which is where my in laws live, uh, Abigail's Race of Endurance. Yes. Which you have the goal that you're chasing there, but this th- th- this race is personal. Very. Can you tell me why you picked it? The funds from this race raise money to go to Abigail's Fund, um, which is going to build a silver home for women. So Abigail was murdered back in February 2020. So right before the craziness of COVID hit, so it got swept, her murder got swept under the rug. She was almost one year sober when she was murdered. And part of her sober journey was living in a sober home for women. So her family, you know, they're taking their grief and they're doing something good with it by building a sober home for women in the West Bend area or Washington County area for women on, you know, in Abigail's name. It's so cool. I I don't know what the statistics are like 
in terms of like the percentage of people who end up in rehab, how many are women and how many are men. But for some reason, my gut tells me that you have more men checking into rehab than women. And I, I can't help but wonder why that is. I think, you know, when I started my sober journey, right, I did a lot of research and I- a lot of the programs out there are geared towards white men. Mm-hmm. Like it, it go, like it, everything goes back to thing, the foundation of how even this country was built around white Christian men. Mm. And so there's not a lot. I mean, yes, there's some of the groups out there, right, that have women only. But again, it's based in faith of Christianity and a program built by a white man. And they try to shove women into that same box. So you don't hear about a lot of the women only programs because there's not a lot out there. And and I think there needs to be, too. So I think that's why what they're what Abigail's family is doing is so incredibly important. Well, you're kicking 55 bucks into the into the into the kitty for the half marathon. I'm only ponying up thirty five dollars because I'm only running the 10K because I don't like distance running. It's it's, <laughs> it's not my thing. Says the man who's running what a hundred k or fifty k in a couple of weeks. Fifty k the weekend thereafter. So yeah. this this like fits my program perfectly. I get to see the in laws, but most importantly, I get to witness greatness. I, I I get to hang out with you. Yes, you can be at the finish line with Nigel. <laughs> We're gonna need more cowbells. Yes, most definitely. <laughs> well, I'll be there with Nigel. Kayla's going to be there. The, the girls are going to be there. Yeah. We're going to, yeah, yeah. I'll be cheering you on from Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> Allison will be there virtually. Awesome. I'll bring, uh, I'll, I'll put you on the phone. It'll be yes. perfect. Love it. Awesome. Well, I can't wait. So many, so many birthday wishes. Happy two year sober anniversary. I'm proud of you and I'm proud to be your friend. Thank you. Thank you so much. And Allison, it was such a pleasure to meet you and, you know, get to share this with you. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for letting me join this conversation. It was incredible meeting you and happy anniversary. That's, that's a really big deal. Good luck with track season. Thank you so much. All right. You ladies have an awesome day and we'll catch up real soon. Thank you. All right, gang, for the love of God, be kind to each other, be nice to each other, be compassionate, be empathetic, even if it's not by your nature. Try to take a walk in somebody's shoes before you decide to, before you decide to be a dick, right? And you know what? (laughs) I know I'm preaching to the choir here. I know you're a good human. I know we all have moments of weakness, but I know that this is a bit of an echo chamber. So look, I'm going to take a moment here and I'm going to say thank you for being an awesome human. Thank you for lifting each other up and thank you for being here with us in this safe space. As always, I'll remind you folks that if it feels like things are falling apart outside this space, if it feels like a shitstorm on social media and elsewhere, right here, we are always coming together. I love you folks and we'll talk to you soon. Peace.